Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas, and thank you for joining us for Texas Ag Today. I'm your host, Jessica Domel, and I'm joined by the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. We're standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture, from the piney woods of East Texas to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos, and from the Panhandle all the way down to the Rio Grande Valley. In determining the final outcome of this season's Texas High Plains wheat crop, you could say the next few weeks will be pivotal. I'm James Hunt, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. Working towards a statewide flood plan for 2024. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. This is Barry Mahler reporting from the state capitol. As the session of the Texas legislature continues, I'll explain why it's important for everyone to pay attention to the process, especially rural Texans. We'll have those stories, news from Washington, Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets coming up. Farmers in the southern regions of Texas who started planting corn earlier this year have been back in the fields replanting thanks to the freezing temperatures brought on by winter storm Uri in late February. Slade Price, field sales agronomist for Pioneer, joins us with more. As you know, that was pretty uncommon weather for much of Texas and especially for us in South Texas. There were lots of growers that hadn't seen a freeze like that and for that duration in a very long time. And in some cases, some of the farmers had never seen that. In the coastal bend, many of the growers held off planting until after the freeze, but some of the earlier planted corn in the coastal bend did have to be replanted, whereas some of the corn that had been planted just a few days before the freeze managed to survive just fine. Unfortunately, though, in the Rio Grande Valley, where they had been planting for a while, much of the corn and sorghum that was out of the ground growing very fast, ended up having to be replanted and suffered severe injury and needed to be replanted. Price said some of the younger corn and sorghum was able to survive the winter storm, but for most, the freeze burned plant leaves and caused it to rot. Typically with a freeze, your loss in yield is typically due to a loss in, in stand and a loss in population of plants. Many fields that we saw were reduced by 50% or plus in population, and so that's why we recommended replanting those acres. The news isn't all bad, though. It did kill many of the weeds that were still left out in the field or starting to come up. Price said they're hoping the freeze also killed off pathogens and other diseases typically found in South Texas. The one thing that we're actually kind of excited about that we did get a freeze or we typically don't is is killing some of the diseases that we typically see, some of the pathogens that we typically see in South Texas, like northern corn leaf blight and fusarium. We're hoping that it set those back some this year. That was Pioneer Field Agronomist Slade Price. The next few weeks are likely to be critical for wheat in the Texas High Plains. James Hunt reports from Amarillo. For all the difficulties our area winter wheat has suffered this season, Texas A&M AgriLife agronomist Jordan Bell says there is still an opportunity to make a decent crop if conditions are right and farmers apply water strategically. As we are coming into mid-March, we are looking at a period where the growing point 
which is where that developing head is, is now moving above the soil surface. And we are determining the number of seeds per head. So this is a great time to apply some irrigation to that crop. And looking ahead a bit, Dr. Bell says another key time additional water can really help the crop is the pollination stage about five to six weeks from now. Of course, the majority of the wheat grown in the Texas High Plains is dry land. And although weather forecasts for later this week and into the weekend provide hope for some moisture, there's no question months of below normal precipitation have been hard on our wheat. Dr. Bell says based on her observations from driving across the region, she would give area wheat a general grade of fair. Now we do have some good to excellent wheat, especially north of Amarillo and some of our irrigated fields. But as a whole, I would not say that region-wide we're looking at a good to excellent crop. Right now, because of the drought, I really do think that the bulk of our wheat is sitting at a fair condition. And she says what happens in the coming weeks precipitation-wise will largely dictate how that grade evolves. We can either go good or we can take a sharp turn and become poor very quickly because of the drought conditions. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Flood planning groups are working to develop a statewide flood plan. Tom Nicoletti has the story. More than 100 members making up 15 flood planning groups across Texas have had their initial meetings with more to come soon. Texas Water Development Board member Kathleen Jackson concludes our series this week on the next steps for the regional flood planning groups. They've also selected a political subdivision to work with and in turn the funding from the Water Development Board to execute the planning effort will will go through those political subdivisions. So there's a consistency across all the regions because they'll all have to address each individual task, but the manner in which they do it, again, it's very much locally driven. I think the other thing that the groups will provide is that they are powerful messengers. I mean, people that are serving on these regional flood planning groups are leaders in the community, and maybe not everybody day in and day out follows exactly what's going on with flood, but they can turn to somebody who's in the regional flood planning group, and they in turn can let them know what the path forward is, what the accomplishments have been, and also our hope is that they will solicit their thoughts and ideas. Further into the future, the groups are responsible for developing regional flood plans that will be due to the Water Development Board by January of 2023. And then the regional plans will culminate in the state's inaugural flood plan by September of 2024. So some time to work on all of this by these uh, regional flood uh, planning groups, but at the same time, a lot of work ahead. Well, I think you're exactly right. But they are not wasting any time. They are up and running. They're They're diligently moving forward. They're looking for the future. Uh, They have a prescribed timeline to accomplish each of the tasks as they move forward in the process. Again, with the end goal of having the first ever state flood plan, as you mentioned, by September 2024. Finally, Kathleen, although Texas uh, currently when looking at the Texas drought monitor, is in need of rain. A lot of drought and extremely dry conditions across the state, but nevertheless, at some point in the future, it will begin to rain again. Texas, some would say, is in perpetual drought. 
punctuated by times of flood. And so it's important in my mind to our children and our children's children that we kind of have this one-two punch, that we make sure that we've got available and, and reliable water supply during times of drought, but there are also that we are protecting property and human life during times of flood. Those comments from Kathleen Jackson with the Texas Water Development Board in Austin. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The Texas legislature is in session, and Barry Mahler recently visited the Capitol. He joins us with more. I spent some time the last few days in Austin at the Capitol as the Texas legislature is in session. It's early yet, but activity is picking up as the House and Senate are looking at bills that have already been filed and, of course, working on the budget to see how programs and agencies will be funded for this next biennium. I try to spend some time here each session because it's important to let these lawmakers know our opinion on laws and regulations that we'll have to operate under as a state. I testified for the House Appropriations Committee that oversees funding for agencies for the House side and the Senate Finance Committee that does the same for the Senate. This time I was here as chairman of the Texas State Soil and Water Conservation Board and explaining our program and securing funding. There will be numerous rural and agriculture groups here over the next couple of months, Texas Farm Bureau, all of the commodity groups, and many others. And this is very important to rural Texas. You see, our representation is by population, so it's no surprise that Harris County or Houston has more state reps and senators than most of all rural West Texas, and they don't always understand agricultural issues and special challenges for rural towns and counties. Not picking on those city folks as they have their own challenges. The good news is in the past, we've been very good in Texas at trying to work together to keep the state strong. But this only works if we let our voices be heard. In our presentation, we explained the dam rehabilitation program in Texas that our agency oversees. The folks that live in the city became more supportive of the expense when they found out that those dams across Texas that were originally built to prevent flooding of rangeland are now helping protect large numbers of housing additions as our towns and cities have grown. The process goes on for the next couple of months, and it's a good idea to pay attention because I've found that although we seem to get focused on our federal programs, the laws and rules passed here in Austin may have a more direct effect on your day-to-day life than what happens in Washington, D.C. This is Barry Mahler reporting for Texas Ag Today. The U.S. Department of Agriculture's latest World Agriculture Supply and Demand Estimates report offered little change from February estimates. Released Tuesday, this month's 2020-2021 U.S. Corn Supply and Use Outlook is unchanged from last month. The projected season average farm price is unchanged at $4.30 a bushel. U.S. soybean supply and use projections for 2020-2021 are mostly unchanged this month, with soybean crush and exports projected at 2.2 billion bushels and 2.25 billion bushels respectively. Ending stocks remain at 120 million bushels, down 405 million from last year's record. The U.S. season average soybean price is projected at $11.15 a bushel, unchanged from last month. Although current cash prices are significantly higher, prices received through January have averaged just over $10 a bushel, reflecting forward pricing at lower prices. The supply and demand outlook for 2020-2021 U.S. wheat is mostly unchanged this month, but there are offsetting by-class changes to exports and imports. The season average farm price is unchanged at $5 a bushel. Some waterfowl, exotic wildlife, and thousands of pounds of fish off the Texas coast were killed in the winter storm in February. How did quail fare? 
That story's coming up. There are ways to make using a squeeze chute more efficient. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. Parenting is full of surprises. You never know what to expect. So after our son was born, I called my Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent to set up a life insurance policy in case something happened to me. Sawyer is now two. And we'll soon have a sister. There's no one else I would trust with protecting my family. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com for an agent you can trust with life's most important decisions. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. There are ways to reduce the stress on you and cattle while working with a squeeze chute. Dr. Bob Judd, a Texas veterinarian, joins us with more. I have run thousands of cattle through squeeze chutes, and the following are some good recommendations I think might be helpful that were made by ranchers Whit Hubbard and Don Natal. The goal is to decrease stress on the cattle and the people working the chute, and it is recommended to minimize noise, including talking and mechanical sounds. Now, this is pretty difficult at a cattle working site, but it is believed this will keep the cattle calmer and easier to work. Next, it is important to hold the animal in the chute until the next animal is ready to come in the chute and is looking forward. So the presence of the cow leaving the chute will help draw the next cow in the chute. It is recommended to leave the head gate wide open until the next animal commits. Although that's a good suggestion, in reality, you may miss a few cows depending on the experience of the head gate operator. So I believe you need to be a little careful as missing cows cost a lot of time. It is okay to have the head gate wide open initially, but once the cow commits, then close the gate some or activate the squeeze to slow the cow down. When releasing a cow, it's a good idea to open the head gate first and then release the squeeze. This prevents animals from pulling back as much and slamming into the back of the chute and encourages them to go forward. Also, wait until the animal is as calm as possible to release, so hopefully the animals will be calmer in the chute next time. And again, don't release the cow until you have the attention of the next cow, so she will hopefully follow her into the gate. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. We've heard reports of Texas wildlife, including some birds and waterfowl, dying during and after winter storm Uri in late February. Dr. Dale Rollins, executive director of the Rolling Plains Quail Research Foundation, gives us an update on how quail in West Texas weathered the storm. Following the record snowfall that we had on Valentine's Day, I began to feel calls from various people wanting to know what the impacts was on quail. I had a report the following Tuesday morning of a guy in Stonewall County that had found two coveys of quail, 28 birds total, frozen dead on some wheat hay that he had been feeding. And so that sounded the alarm and I began to canvass my various uh, quail watchers around West Texas. It seems to me that that was an isolated incident. Other than that report from Stonewall County, no one else reported any uh, direct mortalities. Dr. Rollins, host of the Dr. Dale on Quail podcast, says quail are an incredible species with several mechanisms that enable them to survive harsh winter weather. Like many birds, they will fluff their feathers and what that does does is basically trap dead air and it functions much like uh, you and I if we had a, a duck down or goose down jacket on. So that forms a layer of insulation. The other thing they do is they will roost 
in a tight circle with tails in, heads out. Now, that serves two functions. One is for quick escape if a predator molests them. The other thing it does, again, is that ball, if you will, of quail gets tighter and tighter. Uh, it is a form of heat conservation. So the colder the weather, the closer those birds will be uh, huddled up together. And I've seen as many as 20 blue quail in a tight circle no bigger than a soccer ball for that conservation of heat. That was Dr. Dale Rollins. We'll have more with him on our next show. There was a bit of a dead cat bounce in the cotton markets Wednesday, while cattle and wheat traded lower. We'll take a look at the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Truck drivers, if you're stuck on a railroad crossing, don't just sit there. It takes a freight train more than a mile to stop, even in an emergency. So by the time you hear this, it could be too late to save your truck and maybe your license or your life. Instead, immediately get out of your truck, away from the tracks, and call the number on the emergency sign at the crossing. That gives the railroad a chance to stop trains before they get to you. Always call the emergency number. It could save your truck, your license, and your life. Go to OLI.org for info. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. After spending most of Monday and Tuesday higher, cattle futures were lower for most of the day Wednesday. Live cattle for April down 87 cents to 118.77. Live cattle for June down 67 cents to 118.97. Live cattle for August down 30 cents at 117.92. Feeder cattle for March down 95 cents to 136.20. Feeder cattle for April down 35 cents to 141.72. Feeder cattle for May down 15 cents at 146.82. Box beef prices were lower Wednesday. Choice was down $1.94 to $227.09. And Select was down $3.38 to $220.42 with a movement of 88 loads. Now let's check the livestock auctions. We're walking the pins with Larry Marble. When you hear my auctioneer sound off, it's time to talk to Ken Jordan, Jordan Cattle Auction. He sold them in Mason Monday. He'll sell them in San Saba Thursday. Ken, how the Mason sale go? You bet, uh, Larry. We ended up having 762 head of cattle day. I thought overall the market opened this week with a real strong, steady uh, tone on all classes of calves and yearlings. These cattle are carrying a lot of condition that are going to grass on up into uh, Kansas, Nebraska, and on up into South Dakota and Colorado uh, this May. They were very, very strong. Uh, I thought overall those calves, we had a group of 11 steers day with 566, brought a dollar 64 a pound, right at a little over $928 on those. Feeder steers and heifers also fully steady too. We had five steers weighed. 746 at about 30 right at $970 on those packer bulls and cows they remain steady after last week uh, top bull today was at 94 and a half pears and bread cows uh, limited offering but they also steady there what can we anticipate for the sale in San Saba Thursday we've got several groups of calves that are coming that uh, some of them weighing that four to six hundred pounds that are already all weaned and everything some of them Rangus cross and Charlay cross so I look for a pretty good run of uh, those kind of cattle That'll be there this coming Thursday. Tell everybody how to contact you, Ken Jordan. You bet. Give us a call. There you go, 325-372-5159. Also, update information, go to our website, jordancat.com. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, too, on uh, Larry. We appreciate you, Ken. We'll speak to you before the sale in San Saba. 
You bet. Sounds good, and thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Neighbor, let's check grains right quick while we have the time. Corpus Milo, 1405. Yellow corn, 627. Hard red winter wheat, 691 and a quarter. And Houston beans, 1443. Neighbor, that's it for Walking the Pins. I've been your host. I'm Larry Marble. We're a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Good day. Lean hogs for April up 42 cents Wednesday to 88.77. Lean hogs for May up 22 cents to 91 even. USDA's national pork carcass cutout value was $99.27 on Wednesday, up $2.43. Class 3 milk for March down 14 cents Wednesday to 16.26 a hundredweight. Class 3 milk for April down 4 cents to 17.85 a hundredweight. After limit down losses on Tuesday, cotton rebounded slightly on Wednesday. Cotton for May up 90 points to 85.22. Cotton for July up 76 points to 86.05. Cotton for December up 102 points to 82.45. Hard red wheat for March down 10 at 6.08. Hard red wheat for May down 10 at 6.16 and a half. Hard red wheat for July down 9 and a half to 6.22 and a half. Corn for March down 14 and a quarter to 547 and three quarters. Corn for September down six and three quarters to 496. Corn for December down four and a half to 480 and a quarter. Soybeans for March down 29 and three quarters to 1411 and a half. Soybeans for May down 30 and a quarter to 1409 and three quarters. Natural gas for April up three cents to 269. Natural gas for May up three cents as well to 272. Crude oil for April up 50 cents to 64.51 a barrel. Crude oil for May up 49 cents to 64.48 a barrel. Looking over at our financial markets, the Dow Wednesday was up 533 points to 32,366. The Nasdaq up 34 points to 13,108. And the S&P 500 up 34 points to 3,909. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. Remember, we'll be right here next time to bring you the latest in Texas agriculture. I'm Jessica Domel, sitting in for Carrie Martin. Hope to see you then. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.